Welcome to the Shannon Plan. My name is Kyle Posey. As always, I am joined by Akash and Varathan. Akash, Monday Night Football, that was a butt kicking. So coming into this game, most people, you know, we were worried about last year. We're worried about, you know, 49ers lost to the Cardinals with Colt McCoy. Will it be the same thing? I felt like what people were ignoring was the team. So last year, Arizona was a very good football team. They had one loss at the time. They were rolling. They, they had a healthier, better version of J.J. Watt. They also had Chandler Jones. This year, it has not been the same for the Cardinals, and we kind of saw that bear itself out. They kept it close early on, 14-10, to 10, and then the 49ers just reeled off 24 in a row. We're going to get into the – you know, some of the aspects of the game, but teams dominant. Um, some people are wondering, will the 49ers be the number one seed Threw a lot at you there? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Excited after a huge Monday night win. I think if you're a 49ers fan, that's kind of what you were waiting for. I saw a lot of people say that, including myself, especially on the offensive side of the ball. We were waiting for that type of a display. All the talent we had, we we talked about a week in a week out, right? IU, Debo, Kittle, McCaffrey, Elijah Mitchell, Trent Williams. Now go put it out on the field, and they finally put all the pieces together. They stop, <laughs> you know, turning the ball over, having self-inflicted wounds, and that's the result there. You stick 38 points on a divisional rival, beat them by 28 points at you know, coming into that game, it felt like the 49ers were just on the verge of a breakout game, right? Because they were moving the ball well. They just weren't able to punch it in and score. And you figured eventually this offense was going to figure it out. And now the question is, can you stack that type of performance week in and week out here? I mean, not necessarily score 38 or, you know, beat the opponent by 28 points, but can you just look efficient and consistent on offense, you know, the way that you should? Yeah, I think a lot of people are worried that, and maybe worried isn't the right word, but when you do win in the manner that you, the 49ers did, it turns to, all right, well, it was the Cardinals. It was the lowly Cardinals. They played Colt McCoy. It was just the Cardinals. But I don't really buy into that. I think it's more about how you play, not who you play. And the way that they were playing, the way that Jimmy was playing, the way that Kittle was playing, the way that they were blocking, the way that Chris McCaffrey was running the ball, even Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell ran the ball well in the second half. And of course, the defense, as they usually do, um, just give up next to nothing. So they were going to play like that no matter who their opponent was. And if anything, like how many teams have DeAndre Hopkins to, you know, give them fits? And then they had the, the long Greg Dorch play, but like the defense has been stellar. So to, to pretend that, or I guess to knock them for it being against the Cardinals, kind of, it just doesn't feel right. And again, on the other side of the ball on offense, when you spread the ball out and you have CMC on one side and you have Kittle on the same side and you go to the other side and you have Ayuk and you have Debo on the same side, what defense is going to slow them down? Like what, what are we talking about here? So I think that's going to, again, that's going to bear itself out as the season goes along where it, it, whether it's the Cardinals, whether it's the Saints, whether it's the Dolphins and probably even the Bucks, teams are going to have a very difficult time slowing this offense down and a lot of that has to do with just the addition of Christian McCaffrey so ESPN has been tweeting these graphics out of just the 49ers with and without McCaffrey so first six games three and three and nobody's going to argue that you know even in some of the most of those losses with McCaffrey they're probably not going to beat the Chiefs but 
in the last four games, three and one. 18 points per game without him, 28 and a half with him, 30, uh, sorry, 340 yards per game with him, 396 yards per game with him. The biggest one is the third down. So they were converting 41% of their third downs in the first six games and without, that was without CMC and with him, 55%. And Jimmy Garoppolo, like he, his game has gone to another level. When CMC is on the field, Jimmy Garoppolo is completing 79% of his passes. That number dips to 62% without him. Yards per attempt climbs from 7.6 to 9.2. And then obviously, um, we talked about this before, our producer Rob did. So Jimmy Garoppolo's touchdown interception ratio without CMC on the field is 8 and 4. Or sorry, 8 to 4. When he's on the field, it's 7 0. So I pointed out this play. It was early in the game. Jimmy Garoppolo's looking around. He's scanning the field. He has plenty of time, by the way, which nobody's talking about how, how good the offensive line is playing. They are giving him all the time in the world, and they deserve plenty of credit. So back to the point. When, when CMC's on the field, he has a viable checkdown option. So he doesn't have to feel like he needs to force the ball into tight windows. He can check it down, and Christian McCaffrey turns these two, three-yard gains into six and seven, and now you're in third and short, and that's why that third down conversion percentage jumps up. Um, 14 percentage points the third down conversion numbers since christian mccaffrey joined the team are absolutely bananas uh, you said 55 percent. they've converted 28 of 51 same thing 55 percent. but it's it's insane what they're doing on third down and i will get into jimmy garoppolo here in a little bit but it feels like that's probably his biggest area of improvement and you know you probably know this right it's it's all about creating space horizontally and trying to stretch defenses out sideline to sideline and creating holes for Jimmy Garoppolo to throw to. And Christian McCaffrey, especially coming out of the backfield, and then you throw Debo Samuel back there, those guys do wonders in terms of creating space for Garoppolo, even if they aren't catching the ball. You know, here in the Bay Area, they talk about gravity with Steph, right, and how he creates uh, openings for other players, and CMC does exactly that. And especially on these choice routes out of the backfield, he's just moving linebackers left and right, and it's creating vacant holes. And it's just making life so much easier for Jimmy Garoppolo. You, you mentioned one play where, you know, he's patting the ball, patting the ball, <laughs> looking for someone to throw to, and boom, you hit McCaffrey for a check down. And it's a six, seven, eight-yard gain, and you keep the six moving, and you stay ahead of the downs. And they're just functioning really, really well on offense. It feels like something has clicked, and now it's just a matter of can you just continually execute week in and week out. So let's talk about the prospects of Jimmy Garoppolo making the Pro Bowl. And, and nobody's going to argue that the Pro Bowl lost its luster, and it's not what, it's, what, what it once was. But it, I still imagine it matters to the players, and I'm sure that you know the, the bonuses are built in if you make the Pro Bowl. So NFC quarterbacks, one's going go to one's gonna go to the Super Bowl, Hopefully it's Jimmy G. But if not, do you think he's a pro bowler? So we were talking about the options, you know, earlier. It, one, like it's going to be Jalen Hurts. The Eagles have the best record. That's just naturally what it's going to be. Um, obviously, the Vikings are the two seed. But like when you watch Kirk Cousins, like is he really going to be um, a pro bowler? He has 14 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Jimmy has 15 and four. He also has two rushing touchdowns. Geno's going to be one. Geno Smith has 17 touchdowns, four interceptions, and Seattle has a good record too. So I feel like those are the two in Jalen and Geno. But after that, is it Jimmy? Um, what do you think? Like who's who's going to be that next guy in? 
I had I had this thought yesterday driving. I was like, in the NFC, the quarterbacks just a aren't that great, right? You'd look at Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Matt Stafford, Kyler Murray, all the guys coming into the season that you would have picked to go to the Pro Bowl, just whatever, are hurt, aren't playing well, et cetera, et cetera. And the two locks, I think, for NFC Pro Bowl quarterbacks are the ones you mentioned, Jalen Hurts, Geno Smith, just playing well in the first half of the season. Expect that to continue. Um, and it feels like those guys just have the national love, attention, and momentum building towards that. And then you think about the third spot, and I felt it came down to Garoppolo and Cousins so far. Yet Garoppolo, again, thrown for more touchdowns, thrown for less picks. I think he's thrown for less yards, but all the advanced numbers, which I don't know how much they'll factor in come Pro Bowl voting time, but they lean Jimmy Garoppolo. I mean, defense adjusted yards above replacement, which is a stat that Football Outsiders does. Jimmy Garoppolo's third in the NFL behind Mahomes and Tua. Uh, DVOA for quarterbacks. Jimmy is second in the NFL behind Tua Tonga-Vailoa right now. And I had a Patrick Mahomes, I had a Josh Allen, I had all these names. And, you know, he's top five in EPA per play. He's top five in success rate. Just been really, really good at operating this offense so far. So I feel like I don't know how you don't give him the nod, but I feel like his just general perception among the public is going to be his biggest problem because people just look at him a certain way and it's going to be hard for... Because I think the Pro Bowl is publicly voted. So I feel like that's going to work against him. But the way he's played so far, the way he has played since McCaffrey has come on and joined this team just feels like very Pro Bowl worthy. Yeah. And how much of this belongs to Brian Greasy? Like Brian Greasy has been hands on, it seems like. Um, we, we've been pretty skeptical about what Rich Scangarello does. And if anybody watches college football, watch Kentucky this year watch their quarterback, their quote-unquote first-round quarterback, and see how he's done. So uh, the difference is is pretty obvious there. But having weapons, there's no doubt about it. That helps. Well, I'm, I think I'm going to write about this where – and this probably comes down to Kyle giving him a chance. So that's my phone ringing. Jason Aponte, leave us alone. We're recording. Anyway, um, I think Jimmy deserves some credit for his deep ball. We've, we've talked about that a lot over the – in the past, um, I mean, since he's been a 49er, I think what we're seeing, especially on like the Jawan Jennings one comes to mind. So when you are a deep passer, it's not about arm strength. It's more about knowing the right type of touch, knowing the right type of loft. That is different than making these velocity type of throws um, over the middle of the field and over the intermediate part of the field. And I think on the deep ball, I know Kittle was running wide open, but like the type of loft that he used on that pass was perfect. On the one, the one to Juwan Jennings, if Jennings doesn't trip or you know slightly get pushed in the back, they like that's he runs under it perfectly. So I think Jimmy's Jimmy's deep ball is much improved. Maybe that's due to Brian Greasy. So either way, like you can make a, a very compelling case that he will get in. Of course, he has to finish strong. Um, but then again. Pro Bowl voting is open now, so people are going to be voting on what they're seeing now. I, I do think he has he has a strong um, a strong case there. How about on the defensive side of the ball? Their defense, as well as they played on offense, I still think they're better defensively as a team. And for whatever reason, Nick Bosa is like kind of in the on the back burner of defensive player of the year talk. Why is he not getting more love? Like when you look at 
you know, stats, whether it's pressures, whether it's sacks, whether it's quarterback hits, whether it's anything, you're not going to have to scroll very far to find Nick Bosa. So with that in mind, what does he have to do to get more love? We, we talked about this before. So Mike, Michael Parsons, he does have the splash plays. He has the sack fumbles. Bosa was just on national TV and he had a sack. So what's, what's the argument there? Does he need to have, does he need to run one of these fumbles back and score a touchdown to get on the podium or what? So um, how, how far off is Bosa? Do you think in the MV defensive player of the year voting? And do you think that'll change in the second half? It's funny because Nick Bosa plays for the San Francisco 49ers, one of the bigger NFL brands. And as you know, when they travel to opposing stadiums, when they travel to a neutral site like Mexico City, the 49ers fan base generally is the, uh, you know, uh, more predominant one. Yet when it feels like they go up against the Dallas Cowboys, especially from a media perspective, Cowboys players coaches and whatever just seem to get more attention whether that's good and bad and it feels like that's partially why michael parsons is is running away with this award because and don't get me wrong he's a phenomenal player he's having a fantastic season but i feel like people are talking about talking about it like he's locked up the defensive player of the year award with whatever seven eight games left in the season when it's i think closer than we think and our, our producer stat producer stats here with the numbers uh before the game on monday nick bosa had nine and a half sacks which was second in the nfl he had a sack on monday night uh, i think he's still second in the league uh behind matt judon uh leads the league with quarterback hits has 24 of those and has 11 tackles for loss he's been dominant both in the run and the pass game and i think the biggest argument for nick bosa so far is that he's been playing with a banged up defensive line. I know a lot of people are going to talk about the 49ers defensive line as probably their best position group, one of the deepest in the league, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, they've been missing Eric Armstead since October. They haven't had Javon Kinlaw in the last month. So the guys that he's rushing next to are rotational rushers. And Samson Ebukam missed the last two games. The last two games, he hasn't, he's been the only starter on the defensive line that has lined up. And the amount of snaps he's playing at pass rusher week in and week out is phenomenal. I do think the one thing that's holding him back, like we talked about, are the splash plays, the turnovers, the strip sack fumbles, the you know the plays where he is directly uh, helping the defense get points. And it, like we talked about, I think Michael Parsons has a couple of those, and that's probably the edge right now. But if you look at all the pass rushing numbers, Nick Bosa is just a better pass rusher in terms of stats than Michael Parsons and I know a lot of people are going to throw the argument that Parsons isn't a full-time edge rusher or whatever but I don't know man I I don't see it I feel like it's really close I feel like it's a coin flip but I feel like more people are just like yep it's Parsons done deal yeah and I wonder how much of that has to do with the 49ers you know starting slow and now that they're coming along I imagine he'll get more and more love so you know if they if they finish strong if they finish like we think they will um, it's going to be tough to keep him out of the race, especially um, so Parsons will play this week. But if he does end up missing any time with injury, that'll that only make life easier for Nick Bosa. OK, the Internet had some fun with Trent Williams last week and every professional, former professional athlete ever made it a point to say that what Trent Williams is doing is not an issue that for whatever reason was not enough 
for some 49ers fans to still believe that Trent Williams is tipping plays. I think it, it it's pretty simple here wherein you are an athlete. You are focusing on – Trent Williams talked about this. You're focusing on – even if you were to look at his feet, you look back up and there are 27 different things going on in front of you and you have to diagnose all of those in a matter of one to two seconds at maximum. So with that in mind, how silly was this discussion? They scored 38 <laughs> points. You could know. Trent Williams could tell you what's about to happen, and you still would not be able to get by Trent Williams. We are talking about, honestly, probably one of the better athletes that this sport has seen in the past decade. I don't think people realize how special of an athlete he is. Like Trent Williams is, is a unicorn when it comes to the things that he's able to do. I mean, he had a play last week where he – he covers ground like it, he could probably play tight end is, is probably what I'm trying to say. He covers so much ground. He can get out in space. And uh, he, he, the way that he's able to break down and block defensive backs like is unlike any other uh, lineman that I've seen. And it's just silly that we, we did spend a week on this and still that there's pushback. But I'm glad that people are poking fun and having fun in it. Do you think we can put this to bed finally? We should have put this to bed a week ago. And I thought – you know, a lot of people had some good points on the discussion and the tipping plays. I don't know. I don't know where you stand on it, but clearly there's some different stances there for pass or run or play action, et cetera, et cetera. I'm no offensive line uh, expert to be like, uh, you know, hey, Trent Williams, you, you know, multiple time all pro, one of the greatest left tackles ever should or should not be doing this. It, it, you know, when you step back, it's kind of silly, like one of the greatest left tackles probably the one of the best tackles in, in the sport right now at his age. And we're talking about him tipping plays potentially. It, <laughs> if you just step back, it's kind of funny. But uh, yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of people talk about this. It's, you know, even if you had to look down at Trent Williams' feet to figure out what was going on, you have to be 100% sure of what's coming before you let the rest of the defense or the rest of the team know. Like, hey, it's run, 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 run. And... If you're wrong one time and you get burned, then all of a sudden you're never going to use his feet to be like, okay, here's what's coming. And so even if it's like a 50-50, even if you're like 60-40, that's not good enough for you to uh, you know, be like, hey, it's a run, run, run. Hey, it's a pass, pass, pass. And like Trent Williams said on Saturday or Friday, I forget, you know, they install like 50 different runs with like six different looks and he's like there's a bunch of different stuff going on and you know the the counter reverse play to Debo Samuel is a perfect example right the um the stance was telling you one thing you're thinking okay okay and boom it's a they hit you with a reverse to Debo Samuel and you're like oh crap and so I <laughs> I thought it was funny that you know, we spent a week talking about it. Trent Williams, at least according to PFF, had, I think, his highest graded game ever is, is what I saw. Best run blocking grade ever. I mean, he was a man on a mission. So I wonder if if secretly that motivated him to be like, well, you think I'm tipping place? Well, watch out, MFers. I am coming. And I Trent handled it great, as he always does. Like, he is excellent with the media. And he explained, like, his answer was in-depth. And he explained, like, why it's not an issue. So, I mean... Every, like I said, there were so many former offensive linemen on Twitter that were telling us why it wasn't an issue. So I'm, I'm glad. Okay, the next one, and we heard this more so before CMC came along, but 
Mike McDaniel was a big loss. And the 49ers won't be able to score without him. And as we're seeing, uh, that is not an issue. What? Obviously, he was a big loss. I mean, look at what Mike McDaniel's doing in Miami. He's arguably the coach of the year. Uh, Pete Carroll. That's fair. Yeah, I think Pete Carroll, obviously, Brian Dable's gotten a ton out of Daniel Jones more so than anybody. But Mike McDaniel would be on the podium, I imagine. So do you think the 49ers have able, been able to kind of stabilize that loss of Mike McDaniel, or are, are they still missing him? <laughs> in two years in a row, it feels like the 49ers saving grace midseason has been finding uh, like gold from a running back. Like last season, it was moving Debo Samuel to the backfield basically saved their season. And this year it feels like trading for Christian McCaffrey has saved their season in a different way because it feels like McCaffrey's opened things up in the past game and just opened up stuff for everybody. Whereas Debo Samuel last season was just a man on a mission. He was superhuman. So it's, it's slightly different, but I think that narrative was silly early in the year. It's like a lot of people are like, does Kyle Shanahan know offense? Like what's going on? Like they're not scoring. They're, you know, their rushing offense clearly was kind of in the bottom five, bottom 10 of DVOA. Like they were struggling. And Mike McDaniel, on the other hand, was having some success with, you know, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Tua, all the guys out in Miami. And so I think a lot of people started to wonder, like, can Kyle do this without Mike? They've been, uh, you know, together for so long. And I think the easy answer to that is there was so much turnover on the offensive coaching staff. It just, it just wasn't Mike McDaniel. I mean, they lost Wes Welker, their wide receivers coach. They lost John Embry, their tight ends coach. They lost, uh, well, I guess Bobby Turner eventually ended up joining the team, but they hired uh, Anthony Lynn to replace him. They added, um, you know, their, their pass game specialist, Bobby Slowick, brand new role. Uh, one of the Kubiak sons uh, is on the offensive staff now. And so you've got all these different guys with different roles now trying to figure out how to put together a game plan. And I think Kyle Shanahan talked about this early in the season. The unfamiliarity takes a while. And we, we can think about this in any of our jobs, right? When you switch teams and whatever you do or you get new coworkers, it takes a while to like jive with the other people and figure out what they're good at and what and how you can work with them properly and all that stuff and, and building trust, right? When you're building a game plan Monday through Thursday, you're, you know, and you've got new faces around you. Now it's like, okay, how do you, you know, build trust, build some uh, rapport with the other coaches to put together a good game plan. And, you know, it feels like as the season has gone on, they just look more consistent as an offense. They've made more adjustments. Obviously adding McCaffrey has been huge, but I just think as a staff, it feels like they are better than they were two months ago. And that makes total sense, right? You have two months of working together. And now if you look at some of their offensive stats, exactly the ones you read off, I think they're averaging over 30 points a game in their last three. So pretty clear they can score without Mike McDaniel. I think as long as you got the head guy, Kyle Shanahan, I will, uh, you know, let those guys figure it out and trust that he knows enough to bring the rest of his staff along. Yeah, I think, Shanahan, as we turn the page here to our next question, Shanahan deserves a ton of credit, I think, for the way that he has adjusted as the season has gone along. So remember, they spent all offseason prepping for a specific type of quarterback, and they were going to run a specific offense for that specific type of quarterback. Six quarters in, you have to scratch everything that you've been working on for the past half year 
And now you have to revert back to what you were doing before. But still, I, I, I see some of these RPOs that they're running, even with CMC, like these are Trey Lance plays. And it's so obvious that they're Trey Lance plays. So kudos to Jimmy for adapting there as well. But I think if you just use the Cardinals game, for example, they went into that game ready to attack the edges on the Cardinals defense. Like every, every run was going to be the outside. Why? Because the Cardinals linebackers are horrific. And everybody knows that when you watch Arizona play. So that was a good game plan, but it didn't work. They were not able to run the ball early. They were kind of running into a brick wall, had to punt on their first two drives. And then they start spreading the ball around. They spread out. They spread you out. They put Debo in the slot. They put CMC in the slot. They made the Arizona, they made Arizona safeties and linebackers guard their skill players one-on-one, and Arizona did not have a chance. I believe the I, th- I think it was the sat was something like 11 out of 15 passes in a row or something crazy like that, where we're just not used to seeing that from Kyle Shanahan offense. The narrative is that Kyle Shanahan wants to be a running, uh, like a run first offense. I'm not buying that. I think he just doesn't trust. Well, first of all, he hasn't trusted Jimmy enough, but I don't, I think it's a weapon issue as well. In Atlanta, he was a pass first, but he had a quarterback he could trust. He also had, Julio freaking Jones. So when you have that guy in his prime, and obviously they had other weapons there as well, it's easy to be a pass first offense. Um, so it was 14 of, of their final 15 plays in the first half. 14 of those were passes. It was a joy for me to watch somebody who comes from like an air raid background like that. In my mind, with the weapons that they have, throw it every time. There's no way that the, the opponent can stop you. And they can they're what it seemed like they were trying to do is spread you out pass and then pass to run and that worked because as we saw in the second half elijah mitchell had some rushing lanes uh the 49ers offensive line was able to get downhill and again this does not work without pass protection so kudos to aaron banks kudos to jake brindle kudos to spencer burford uh mike mcglinchy was not an issue see we go these full games without Mike McGlinchey being a problem, but the one time, the one play that he gives up a sack, you know, it's bench him, um, he sucks, he's the worst, but we didn't have to worry about any of those. But um, I think if this is the way that the 49ers want to play, you have, if, if your intention is to get your best players on the field and your best players are probably your five eligible wide receivers, it's a no-brainer to throw the ball. So I think Shanahan deserves a ton of credit for adjusting and adapting listen it's it's going to be tough for teams to guard just one or two of these guys but when there are when you have are you four yes when you have guys who are legitimately the best at their positions across the league why wouldn't you throw the balls often and i know that you know people think there has to be a a balance but these five yard throws that's essentially an extended run play the screens to Debo, that's an extended version of a run play. Swing passes. So, yeah, like you, all you're doing is you're doing the hard, you're getting the hard part out of the way. You're not running him up into, you know, six or seven defenders. Now it's Christian McCaffrey one-on-one in the open field. Now it's Debo with a head start. Like Those are no-brainer type of plays. So I think Shanahan deserves a ton of credit with all that in mind. Will the 49ers remain pass happy as we move forward? So um, the Saints, good defensive line. They have like Cam Jordan. They have, I guess the better way to put it is they have big stocky guys up front. So probably not the type of defensive line you run or want to run into. So why not spread them out? Why not spread these defenses out as we go 
along in the second half and rely on your best players. And again, if you're comfortable with Jimmy not turning the ball over, you know Jimmy's comfortable living over the middle of the field. You're going to have space. You're going to have one-on-ones. It's just about him putting the ball in the money, and he's done that, and Jimmy does deserve credit for that. So do you think this is going to be something we see? Is this going to be sustained? I sure hope so. I saw this chart yesterday that looked at future schedule, future schedule pass defenses, and the 49ers face the second easiest slate of pass defenses in their remaining, what, eight games, seven games, uh, according to EPA per play. So I think that only the Jets have an easier schedule. So if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're looking at the past defenses that are coming up, you look at your past success. I mean, let's look at DVOA. When they uh, when they throw the ball on first down, they are 11th in DVOA. When they run the ball on first down, 16th. Second down pass, 6th. Second down run, 13th. And overall, just in terms of DVOA numbers, when they pass, 5th, run, 22nd. And since Christian McCaffrey's come in, I think they're third in, in passing DVOA. I know EPA per play when they are an early down pass team is in the top five versus when they're an early down rush team. And I think it's partially just how their personnel is, right? Their offensive line just probably better suited to pass block and getting the ball out to some of the some of your guys in space right? Even on some of these easy swing passes or screens or whatever, just seems to create more yardage than running them up the middle. Um, Which isn't to say they shouldn't run the ball, but I think it sets up, if you pass first, it seems to open teams up and then you get Elijah Mitchell in the second half and you go boom, boom, boom. And then Kyle Shanahan comes in with the uppercut counter reverse play Debo Samuel. It's a walk-in touchdown. So I think if you're Kyle Shanahan, you're doing some skull scouting. You look at the roster you have. You look at the defenses that are coming up. I mean, how can you not be a pass-first team when you have freaking 11, 19, 85, 23, 44? I mean, you just got guys everywhere. And I, I do agree. I know a lot of people talk about his ethos as a coach is run-first defense. But I got to feel like he's an aggressive wants to throw guy, but wants to throw on his terms where he feels like the quarterback is playing under control, is protecting the ball, knows where to go with the ball. I don't know if you saw on the broadcast on Monday night, but they were showing like a montage from the Rams game a couple weeks ago, and they cut to a sideline shot of Kyle Shanahan on the George Kittle touchdown where George Kittle runs the over in the back of the end zone, and Jimmy hits him, and they like do a little cut in, and they cut to Kyle, and Kyle's like, throw to Kittle, throw to Kittle, throw to Kittle. And uh, and then, you know, Jimmy releases the ball. So I'm sure that's part of it, right? Standing on the sideline, he knows where he thinks the ball should go based on what the defense is doing. And I'm sure he does. More, and the more he feels that Jimmy Garoppolo is executing and is not putting the ball in harm's way, which he hasn't turned the ball over in three straight games. I think he's only had one interceptable pass since Christian McCaffrey came. Um the more he feels comfortable as quarterback, I think the more they're going to get into these pass first situations and that's going to open things up. And that's the formula they should take moving forward because that's just what they've done more successfully this season. Yeah, that, that'll be interesting. I think that's a really good point where the more we go without seeing Jimmy, the ball, Jimmy turn the ball over, the more confidence Kyle will have in him. Therefore, the more he will allow his quarterback to throw the ball, maybe put more on his plate. But we're seeing Jimmy 
turn into a bit of a playmaker. We're seeing him. We're seeing him create on his own, extend plays. Excuse me. And Two weeks in a row. Yeah. That. So it's not just extend plays for six, seven yards. The kiddo play is like a forty-plus yard play that really, like, when else has that happened? So it is. It is pretty interesting to see that development. Obviously, you hope that it goes. It keeps going. All right. Before we get out of here, there has to be a trap game around here somewhere, right? Like the 49ers, are, are they really just going to run the table and run through everybody by 28 points? Unlikely. Some feel like it's this week. I I don't know that it's going to be a home game. I would imagine that we're looking more like I cannot get past the Raiders on New Year's Eve, like when I'm looking at the schedule. And I, I'm not saying that the Raiders are a good team. Nobody would argue that. It just feels like like, what is there going to be to play for once you get there? It's off of – so you go off of the Commanders game, and that is a week after you're pouring your heart and soul into a Seahawks game that's probably going to be deciding the division. So my pick for the trap game would be the Raiders game. I would lean Commanders before that just because, you know, as I just mentioned, the week before, like, that's that game in Seattle, that's going to be for all the marbles. and the winner probably wins the division there. What do you think? What When you look at the schedule, which game feels like a letdown spot for the 49ers? I think it's this week. And again, I, I hope they end up coming out with the victory, but I feel like this is the spot. And let's, it, I, I mentioned this before we hit record. It feels very much like in 2019 when, the 49ers beat the Saints on the road, 48 to 46. Emotional victory, big win. Come home. They have the Falcons, who were kind of a shitty team at that point in the year. The 49ers were, you know, they still hadn't clinched the division. They still needed those games. And they just came out flat against Atlanta. And, you know, I, I was there at Levi Stadium that day. The crowd wasn't really into it. It was one of those like 105 starts um, in December. And it, it just had a very flat kind of environment and the 49ers weren't playing that well on either side of the ball and it was still a close game they ended up losing kind of the, at the end there on the Julio walk-off touchdown but I just remember thinking like man it had trap game written all over it should have seen this coming and this week kind of has the makings of that I mean a huge win in Mexico City and I think the uh you know the sort of emotional high of playing in Mexico City and if you see what a lot of players have said on social media, what a lot of players, families, right? Such an honor, you know, such a huge deal playing in front of these fans, a big win on the road, technically. And now you're coming home to a Saints team that average across the board, not really in the NFC playoff picture. You're playing Andy Dalton on a short week. And then the other factor is just Thanksgiving this week. Like how many of these guys have families and Thing and people coming into town uh, for Thanksgiving because have a home game here. It's just, it feels like the game where you kind of overlook the opponent. You're feeling yourself a little bit coming off this big win. Like, yeah, you know, we've, we've got enough talent. We look around, we'll, we should be all right. And I think this is a big week where the coaching staff has to emphasize, okay, you had a big win, but we got to do this over and over and over again. Cause as good as last week's win was, it means nothing if you go out and lose to the saints this week. So I feel like this week has more of uh, an emotional letdown, especially looking forward to the fact that you have the Dolphins and Mike McDaniel and that squad coming up next week. It just, 
you has know they the know that the, the Dolphins are on deck too. Like 100%. And so nine and a half point spread right now, I I would take the Saints and the points um, if I were uh, betting this game. But I just hope they come out with a W. I don't think you don't need style points for this game. You don't need to blow them out. You just need to find a way to win and move on to next week. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if they do come out flat. Um, but that'll do it for us. Uh, we, we shouted out Mike McDaniel, who potentially is coach of the year um, in the same division. We also got to give some credit to Bob Sala, who's six and four and just benched his quarterback, Zach Wilson, who thankfully didn't fall to pick number three. Holy smokes. I wonder if Kyle Shanahan would have taken him if that were the case. But that'll do it for us. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please rate subscribe, review, leave us five stars, wherever it is you get your podcast. On to the World Cup. For me, Akash, where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at Twitter at A-K-A-S-H-A-N-A-V. Hope everyone has a fantastic Thanksgiving. And on that note, I saw something you said, and I feel like it has to be addressed on the podcast. Thought it was borderline offensive, honestly. Love where this is going. Some personal news. This is what you said. You decided to have a ribs giving for the first time this year. Table full of slabs and racks. All over. I just, I need to hear your side of things there. So, we are in this mindset you have to have turkey for Thanksgiving. You do not have to have turkey for Thanksgiving. You can have ham. You can do whatever you want to, honestly. I have decided to step out on a limb and go for the best version of meat, which in this case are ribs. And we're going to do a little jalapeno, a little molasses. We're going to soak those bad boys. And honestly, I wish today was Thursday already so I can eat them and Same. eat them probably all day. I cannot wait. It's going to be the best decision I've ever made. This is like the 49ers acquiring Christian McCaffrey. There's no way that this could go bad. I am... There, I don't, I'm hiding my excitement right now, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So when I tweet this, naturally people are like, show us your smoker. Like, no, I'm not going to put a picture of the freaking, like, are you out of your mind? But yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a great time. Um, if you are out there and you're celebrating Thanksgiving, whether it's with your family, whether it's with, you know, your friends giving, even if it's just you, I've done that before where it's just me and my child. Enjoy it. However it is, enjoy it. Make the most of it. Um, don't worry about what you see on the internet. It's it's about you. It's about your family, um, your situation, whatever it is. So, Ribs given. Love it. Step outside the box. Change it up. Do whatever it is you want to do is, I guess, my point. Okay, what are, what are you going to do for it? Just hanging out. And uh, as usual, we'll cook up a, uh, a little feast. Usually no turkey because it's a smaller group and that's high effort uh for a, a smaller group of people so but i'm inspired by a ribs giving idea and especially after that explanation i uh would not mind having some ribs tomorrow but to everyone listening appreciate it once again go subscribe rate and review have a happy happy thanksgiving enjoy some football hopefully the cowboys lose on thursday 